Well, good morning. Good morning. As you're coming on in, please have a seat. And for those of you that are watching us on live stream, welcome as well. Well, this is a beautiful day. Um, all days actually should be beautiful because God has given us uh, this day to live and to breathe and to walk this earth. And we should be so very thankful to him. I was thinking uh, this week about we are living in such a culture of great levels of confusion and conformity that uh, there's this external pressure that is happening from outside for us to conform to the mold of this world. And there's so many, even Christians, that seem very confused um, by uh, what is really true. So I'm really looking forward to this uh, work through Second uh, Peter, because in Second Peter, it talks about the struggles that are happening around us and how we can stand firm in the truth. Uh, we'll be praying for our brother uh, Tim as he opens the word to us and brings us the beginning of First Timothy. I'm sorry, First Peter. Uh, for those that are here, you should have received your sheet, and on that sheet, it will give you some information about what's going on this week. Uh, Grief Share will begin in September, so keep that in mind. Uh, we'll be praying for Grief Share's ministry as well. Now, there's some uh, men's studies that are here, junior high and high school, and young adults are on this list as well. Uh, we often get asked, how do we contact the pastors and elders? Um, our information is on that sheet, and if you have anything that you need from us, just feel free to reach out to us. We would love to be able to connect with you and for those of you that are not here, you just go to the website. It's uh, thechapelnj.org, and you can get all of our information there, all our contact information as well. If you're new here today, uh, we have a welcome center out of the sanctuary to the right. Um, so we would love it if you would stop by there. We have a gift for you, and we would love to know of your attendance with us. So... Um, I think that's all I'm going to share with you today. Just keep in mind, I was thinking the awesome privilege of knowing God. Has anybody read the book by J.I. Packer, Knowing God? Okay, if you haven't, grab it and read it. Uh, it's a great book, but there's a book called Knowing God. As we go through Second Peter, you're going to be hearing a lot about knowing God and the knowledge of God. So, um, and J.I. Packer did a great um, work in that study. But let me pray for you as we come. Lord, today, it is such an awesome privilege to know you. You say through Romans, through Paul and Romans, that every person in this world knows you. They have a general knowledge of you. They know that there's a creator. You, you've done that in creation. You've done that in our own conscience, Lord. You have made us aware that there's a God, but we have, in our rebel nature, kind of tried to stamp you down, Lord, and to try to forget you or to reject you or try to replace you. Lord, please forgive us for that. I thank you for the fact that in salvation, you've opened our eyes and opened our hearts to a greater knowledge of you, a knowledge through your son, a knowledge through your word. And I praise you for the fact that we get an awesome privilege to know you in an intimate way. 
I thank you for uh, first Peter and second Peter. I thank you for Peter's life, Father. We see the ups and the downs, and I, I so appreciate Peter because it reminds me of me, and it reminds us of many of us, Lord. We have these ups and we have these downs, but you are so consistent. So we praise you for that. Uh, through the health trials, the financial trials, the relational trials, the spiritual trials that we go through, I pray that you would remind us that you are consistent through all the confusion and the chaos that is happening around us. Help us to hear of what real faith is, grounded in your Son, applied to us through your Holy Spirit, given to us in your Word, and help us to worship well today. For the musical team that's behind me, Father, thank you for the great talent that they have. I pray that as they lead us in music form of worship, Father, I pray that we will worship well. Father, as the brother comes and reads the passage, help us to know that the word that is given to us today is given to us by you, and it is your very word. And Father, as my brother Tim comes and preaches today, I pray that you would be preparing his heart and preparing our hearts to hear from you through him and by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' matchless, holy, and powerful name we pray. Amen. All right, good morning, everybody. Please stand with us. And before we get started this morning, I just wanted to uh, take a second to honor Miss Abby Lamore over here uh, she, for her contributions to the worship team for the last couple of years. She's um, going to be leaving in a couple of weeks for college, and I uh, just want to take this opportunity to thank her for sharing her talents with us. So thank you. worship together. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn, our sins they are many, His mercy is more. Remember the wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, He counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. They are many, His 
riches of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment, his life was the cost. We stood beneath a debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. This is 
Father, we come to you today with humble hearts, for we acknowledge our sins are many, 
but we also know that your mercy is more. Indeed, your mercy is so great, and you are so rich in that mercy, that you have loved us as no one has ever loved us, and no one ever will love us as much as you've loved us. For you have not only loved us, but you have saved us. You've saved us from those prison walls of sin and shame, and you've beaten back those giants of death and the grave, so that we might stand with clear consciences before your throne of grace and acknowledge you as our Lord and Savior. Oh Lord, today we ask for all those people who are struggling, no matter how they may be struggling, with their own sin situations, with their need for healing, physical diseases, and with their need for relationship to you. We, we acknowledge, Lord, that you are our God, and only you can handle all of these situations and love us again as no one else, no entity can love us. Thank you, Lord. And now we ask that you give us your grace and your knowledge through the power of your Holy Spirit and through the power of your precious word that we may go out and do the things that you want today and do them in your name. And now we listen upon your word and wait upon it that we may grow in knowledge of you. Amen. A reading from 2 Peter, verses 1 through 11. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, Make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Blessed be the word of God. Thank you, Steve. So we want you to uh, turn in your Bibles to Second Peter chapter 1. If you haven't done that yet, we want to... Uh, Welcome a new little one, right? I think Audrey is over here with uh, Dylan and Anna. So 
it's her first time in church. So we'll have the privilege of watching her grow over the years to come. So uh, uh, did I say junior church or not? I didn't. I heard my wife saying it. <laughs> so if you, if you have uh, little children, they can be dismissed for junior church. So uh, about a month and a half ago, the Wall Street Journal released a survey of cultural trends. Okay. Now, there's always a danger in sharing surveys like this, and I'm, I'm, I'm aware of it, so uh, just receive what I'm saying with, with the appropriate caveats. Okay? But the survey noted these simple observations. A, over the past 25 years, so it was from 1998 to present, a decline in these desires, I guess, maybe is a way to say it, Patriotism, and I understand that that's loaded, okay? I understand that that, but when I think of that, I don't think of nationalism. I think of the, the desire for the country as a whole to do well, okay? That we, we want the best for our country as a whole, not because we see ourselves as sinless, but we count the country that we live in blessed and we're grateful to be here, okay? Not a claim of perfection, but there's this decline in patriotism in marriage, in the desire to have children, and in the desire to practice your religion in a habitual or faithful sense. Okay, that drop is, is 30% in the last 25 years. I want you to think about that. Okay, and I want you to think about what that means for the world that we live in. When we devalue our love of each other, when we devalue our affection for family and marriage, there, there are serious issues that are taking place in our culture. And over months to come, we'll be addressing some of those things because the text that we'll be covering demands that those things be addressed. Now, the Apostle Peter, when he writes, understands that there, are, there is this tendency in the general sense of the world to, towards corruption or dissolution. Okay, and he mentions this in our text today. He mentions this at the end of verse four. He talks about having escaped the corruption in the world that is caused by evil desires. And the word here used for corruption is an interesting word. It is not the word for an absolute destruction. Okay, it is a word for this internal dissolution, this slow dissolving of proper values, and then an overtaking of things that will be destructive and negative for the culture, okay? So, so when, as Peter's writing, he's writing with an understanding that there is this tendency towards internal decay that can lead to the destruction of everything, but it's a slow process, all right? And so he's, he's talking to the church with an understanding that that is present in the culture in Rome at that time, and he is going to show them how to overcome that, how to stand despite those overwhelming cultural pressures that I think are illustrated in the survey that I read to you. That kind of dramatic decline does not bode well for the future of American culture. Okay? That does not end well. And so... 
Peter, as he speaks to a church that is in that setting, in the Roman culture, in the Roman Empire, his solution to their problem is that they need to be growing in their personal walk with God. Folks, one of the things we need to realize as Christians is this. Most of the influence that you and I will ever have in this world will largely be on an individual to individual basis. Very few of us are ever going to change the world by influencing institutions, right? We influence the world around us basically through one-on-one relationships with family members, with fellow workers, with people in our community, and in the context of our church family. That's, that's my small sphere of influence. I don't have any control over institutions, but I do have a lot of relationships that God has given to me, and he wants me to represent him well in those settings. And so Peter says the way that we can represent God well in those settings is to make sure that we maintain a focus on our personal growth. Okay, here's a basic principle. Living things grow. And if you have a living faith in the person of Jesus Christ, that faith should be something that is moving from where it was to where God wants it to be. There should be a consistent pattern of progress in your Christian walk, and it's to that end, I think, that Peter writes this epistle. So in 2 Peter 2, 1 to 2, he, he points out uh, this corruption. I'm just going to just touch this real quick. James will be on this next week. But he says, but there were false, false prophets in Israel, just as there will be among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and deny the master who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves, but many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. Okay, so what is Peter pointing to? Peter's pointing to the fact that there is this potential for corruption, for dissolution in the context of the church in the first century. And he's warning them against that. And the way that he wants them to fight against it is number one, by understanding and holding on to biblical truth. But secondly, he wants them to do that by being cautious about the moral context in which they live, that they don't allow that to creep into their existence and personal being. Okay, he wants them to be conscious of their need to be continually growing as a strategy for exposing and discerning false teaching and false morality. So the thing I want to point out to you at the beginning is that Peter writes in verse 1 as a servant of Christ. Okay, so he's, he's, he's identifying himself as one who is under the authority of God, acting on behalf of the people of God. And then secondly, he says that he is addressing believers. So the focus at the beginning is on Peter, a servant of Christ, not a man of great accomplishment, but a man of faithful service to God. Okay, and the second thing he does is he addresses the audience. So you see this in verse one, he says, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. So the audience to which he writes is people who are resting not in their personal accomplishments. And I think it's important that you see this. They're people that rest in the righteousness of Christ. They don't find their standing before God through their effort and performance. They find it through the work of Christ. And that gives them a great degree of confidence as they begin to seek to live for the glory of God. They are people that rest in the righteousness of Christ. And then he says this about them. They have received a faith as precious as ours. Now, if you circle the word faith in your 
text, that word faith is not the idea of trusting. That word faith is talking about the basic body of truth that makes up biblical Christianity. Okay, the, the basic truth about the work of Christ, his cross work, what he accomplished for us, and how we find a standing in his righteousness and not in our own. Okay, so the audience to which Peter writes is a group of people who profess faith in Christ. I would assume this morning that the vast majority of you sitting here coming into this type of a context are people who would say, I have faith in Christ, meaning I, I practice trust in Christ, and I am also a person who believes a body of truth about Christ. There are things that I adhere to that would give me a proper description of the person and work of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's, that's the audience. So if you identify with those things, what Peter goes into next is for your protection, is for your help, is for your growth. And I love the way he ends this. He says that the believers that he's writing to have received a faith as precious as ours. Now, Peter is part of an elite group, if you will, in the context of church life. He's an apostle. He's someone who had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. He had personal failures. He had personal successes. He knew what it was to be restored and redeemed. But when he writes to this church of people that live in Rome, who it's very likely that none of them ever saw the person of Jesus Christ physically. Paul writes to them, or Peter writes to them as someone who has seen Christ, but he says to them that by the work of the Spirit of God, they have received, by virtue of faith in Christ, a faith, a body of truth, a, 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 a statement about the work of Christ that is as precious as what Peter and the other apostles had. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? There are folks in the context of the body of Christ, no second-class citizens. Peter did not, Peter knew that he was in a special place, but he did not see himself as more blessed than you and I today. And I think it's important for us to see that. And Peter has a concern for these believers. He has a concern that they would be faithful in the context of hostile or dissolving moral circumstance. So the question that we need to ask ourselves is, how do I, in a culture that I think all of us, and, and as a believer, you, you, you have to be in agreement with that we live in a culture that is sliding down a slope morally, that is calling things normal that we know are not normal, that is approving things that God's word clearly denies and disapproves. That's the world we live in. Okay, now I don't, I don't go at this as a pessimist. Okay, I don't say to my kids, oh, I, I would hate to be raising kids when you're raising your kids, because that's not how I feel. Okay, I believe that the power of God is enough to give us everything that we need for a life of godliness before God. But we need to be people that cultivate habits, that understand the importance of growing in our knowledge of Christ, and that knowledge of Christ helps us fight off two things, false teaching, and corrupting morality. Okay, and I think those are the targets of this epistle as a whole. Peter wants people to understand the truth about Jesus and what he accomplished, and he wants them to understand the, the prevailing trends in the culture so that they can resist them and not be captured by them. Okay, so what follows now is not how I become a Christian, but it's how I grow in my walk with Christ. And I'm just gonna walk through this text and make Four very simple observations, 
So I'm going to pose this question. How do I, in the context that I live in, okay, and if your eyes are wide open, you, you, you're probably concerned about the context that you live in today. How do I, in the circumstances that I find myself in, how do I remain hopeful? How do I remain optimistic about the future? Okay, I think one of the things I would say to you just as a sidebar is this, keep your eyes on Christ, not the culture. Okay? Peter says, you received a body of faith, a body of truth. Hold to that body of truth. Let that be your anchor and, and be, let that be your ground of assurance despite what's going on around you. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. But he's going to give them some what I'm going to say are encouragements in this context in which he is calling them to grow. Verse three, he says this. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Okay, now I want you to think about that. God, by design, has given us everything we need. And Peter says this despite the context that you find yourself in. Because what's the tendency? The tendency is to think that my circumstance, my setting in history, my place in the culture is distinct and different. And Peter's gonna resist that thinking. Peter's first point is going to be this, that growth is possible. I want you to think about how you see people. Okay, so just... Just think through the Rolodex, of, and for you young people, that's a list of names, okay? Your, your, whatever you call a thing on your phone that has all your addresses on it, okay? That thing. All right, I want you to think through that list of people, and I want you to be honest, okay? When you think about people on that list in the context of your home, at work, at school, in your neighborhood, do you believe that people can change? Now be honest. Okay, so most of you are saying yes. Do you have people in your life that you think can't change? I do. I mean, I'm a pastor, I deal with stuff. <laughs> right, and sometimes we feel like I can't change. And sometimes we feel like the people that we're trying to help and that we're pouring time into, we become pessimistic rather than optimistic, okay? And I'm gonna argue that this text obliterates pessimism and should raise a strong sense of optimism in our hearts. Okay, listen to the way he says this. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. That is not only true for you. That's true for everyone around you who knows Christ. It's not a spark of divinity, it's divine presence. And the way the Bible clearly describes this throughout the New Testament is this is the presence of the living God by his spirit in our hearts in a way that brings power and capacity for total transformation and change. And I'm gonna tell you something, there are times that I doubt that that is possible for someone that I may be seeking to help and sometimes I may believe the same thing about myself. And Peter writes, to remind us, however cynical you may be, 
however much you may think that people don't change, won't change, or can't change, that his divine power that he has given us is all that we need, which means that it has a comprehensive capacity. It can touch every area of your life. Now, I understand this. I understand that there are qualifications attached to what I just said. It does depend on certain attitudes and actions that we as believers are taking. But that in no way diminishes the promise that God has given to us. That we have his divine power, therefore growth is possible. The result for us as individual believers should be a deep sense of confidence. An acknowledgement that we have a radical and limitless power that is unleashed in our lives by the work of the Holy Spirit that can change us and that can change the most difficult person in your life. And that's something that you have to receive by faith, right? Because as I say that, there's something in you that's resisting what I just said. You're thinking, yes, I've seen that work in people's lives. I know that's true for so-and-so and so-and-so, but, okay, we, we tend to be pessimistic with people who struggle. And God is calling us to be optimistic, and to move boldly into people's lives with the hope and with the knowledge that God can do anything. He can change anyone. He can change you. God wants us to be people of great hope. Now it's interesting in verse four, it says, through these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them, now watch what happens, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desire. So that helps me to understand one thing. Where does the corruption in the world that I live in come from? It comes from evil desires. And when the world throws up things that appeal to evil desires, we tend to move in that direction. There's some sense of attraction to that, and only by the Spirit can that be powerfully and successfully resisted. And Peter wants them to know that growth is possible, but he wants them also to ask the question, how do we participate in that? And I think the answer very clearly from the word of God, Acts chapter one and verse eight, is by the power of the spirit. Jesus tells his disciples, stay in Jerusalem and the spirit will come upon you and when he comes, you will receive power to be my witnesses. That is power for change, for transformation, from being weak witnesses to powerful and bold and optimistic witnesses who believe that the word of God can change people's lives. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Paul asked this question to a church that is slipping in to dissolution, the church in Corinth, where morality is falling off the charts. It is in a process of total decay. And Paul writes to them and asks a question, 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19. He says to them, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost who is in you, who you have from God, and you are not your own, you've been bought with a price. What is Paul doing? Paul is reminding the church and the individuals within it that their body is literally a dwelling place for God, a vessel through which God seeks to work and move and change. And that is a cause for hope. That's something that will encourage me to go out boldly because when I go, I don't go alone. 
I go with the very presence of God. And, 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 and Paul, I, I, or Peter, I, I just love the way he does this in verses three and four. His divine power. And then in verse four, he talks about his divine nature. That we, we participate in that. We are, we are covered by that. We live in the context of that. And that becomes for us a cause of great hope, great hope because what it says is that change is possible. I love what he says at the end of verse four. He says, by them, we have escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. What would have otherwise overrun us and overcome us and caused us to dissolve morally? is resisted by the presence of the Spirit of God. And Peter can say it so strongly. He says, by them we have escaped. We are are in this process of experiencing the power of God that changes us as we sang this morning. He is moving us from where we were to where he wants us to be. And that is a, 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 a powerful ground for hope. So as a result, we are not people of pessimism. We are people of optimism. And what he promises to us is limitless. It does not say that God can change some things. It says that God can change all things. And I believe the evil one wants to attack this promise. He wants to make this promise in your heart and in your mind untrue. He wants you to be pessimistic. So if you in your life have experienced wounding, he wants you to believe that it can't be healed. And if you have experienced addiction or enslavement to habits, he wants you to think that you cannot be delivered. And if you have a struggle in your life, he wants you to think that you can't overcome it. This is the way that Satan works. He wants to deceive you and trap you and cause you to believe that the power of God in your life is not enough. As I was reading through this text and studying this, I had this thought came to my mind. Peter knew deep failure in his life and amazing grace, right? Because we can read through the life of Peter in the Gospels. We can see a man who struggled on a repeated basis with being the man that Jesus had called him to be, right? And what do we find Jesus? We don't find Jesus in pessimism drawing back. We find Jesus in optimism related to his power moving forward and saying to Peter, get back in the game. Feed my sheep. Yes, Peter, you failed miserably. Peter, you thought you were better than everybody else, but my power is here to restore you. Folks, that's the kind of people we need to be. When you're interacting with someone who's struggling, you need to remind them that growth is possible. That they can move from where they are today to where God wants them to be tomorrow. That that kind of radical transformation is possible because we have received divine power and we are partakers of divine nature by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I hope that thought encourages your heart. You know, I don't know how you came here this morning. Maybe you've been watching the news too much and you find yourself deeply discouraged. Maybe you think there's no hope. I want you to know that there is. You need to get your eyes on what God cares about, and that is the individuals around you. And you need to start moving in that context, moving in that environment, say, God, let me be an instrument of your change. Let the divine nature by this work of your spirit inside of me influence those around me. It's not about me. I'm a person of failure, but under the work of the Spirit of God, I can be a person of success and help 
to people around me. So the first truth that Peter wants us to know about growth is that it is possible. Second truth is found in verse five. Peter says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance, to perseverance goodness and to godliness mutual affection and to affection mutual love. Now, I want you to think through that list. Now, I'm not gonna go through every word and give you definitions, so don't, don't feel like it's gonna get long and I'm gonna go through seven, I'm not gonna do that. Because I think that list is not meant to be comprehensive and exhaustive. It is a list that I believe is meant to be representative of the kinds of things that God wants us to be pouring into our lives, virtues that he wants us to be working on. But the, I think the point of this text, when he says, add to your faith, this, this kind of rolls out in this idea of a tense that says this is a repeated or habitual action that ultimately transforms who you are by the power of the Spirit. So there's this sense that I am opening myself up to investing these virtues, and then the Spirit of God is the one who makes transformation possible as those virtues are embraced. Okay, does that make sense? And that the focus isn't on a list that's exhaustive. It's pretty easy to read through that list and realize that there are a number of virtues that begin to make up who I am to be in Christ. And I think they're fairly self-evident. Now, what's, what's the point here? I think the point is that growth for all of us is gradual. Okay? So growth is possible. It can happen. But that growth that most of us experience by and large, is, 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 a, is a gradual process. Now, what makes that difficult in American culture? Okay, I'll just, I'll, I, I think I've confessed this before. I probably don't need to confess again, but I'll, I'll confess it again. My Achilles heel, and I think my wife would affirm this, is impatience. Okay, I am, like if, if, if you're in front of me at a traffic light and it turns green and you don't start moving, I feel the need to let you know, okay? I know I'm probably the only guy in here like that, but. All right, there's just, and so what, what? In our culture, I want things immediately. I don't have time. I want results. So if I make a call and someone says, can I place you on hold? My response is no. <laughs> I don't want you, I want what I want immediately. I am not really good about being down for the long haul. I'm not, I'm not wired that way. But this text is calling me to do something on a habitual basis that will ultimately cause me to be the man that God wants me to be. And he never promises that that can occur by taking a silver bolt or a special uh, spiritual pill that's gonna be like, if I was dug up, I'd go, ah, right? <laughs> that, that's not the way it works. Your spiritual life is built piece by piece. Love what, I, I always loved, uh, not Legos, I like Lincoln Logs, okay? Because there was just something fun about piecing those things together. But that whole structure, you could never just have it happen like that. It took a process, it took time, it took thought, it took diligence to get all of that together. And that's the way it is in your spiritual life. If you're waiting for this quick like elevator move, that's not the way it works. It's much more like stairs. 
and you got to get on the stairs and you need to keep stepping forward despite the pain, despite the obstacles, despite the struggle, despite the altitude, you got to keep climbing because the growth that God has called you to is gradual. So 1 Peter 2 and verse 2 says this, and we went over this a few weeks ago. It says, crave the pure milk of the word that by it you may grow. Okay, what is that telling you? It's telling you that you need to be taking in God's truth in the context of church life, in the context of your personal life with a small group. You need to be soaking in God's word. And what does Peter say? Take the pure milk of the word that by it you may grow. What's implied in the analogy? What's implied in the analogy is that Anna and Dylan's little beautiful baby Audrey is not going to next Sunday morning show up six foot tall and she says, this week, I'm going to feed this baby so much that by next Sunday, she'll be six foot tall. It doesn't work that way. Your spiritual life doesn't work that way. God never uses analogies like that. He talks about a seed being planted in the ground. Something comes up out of the ground that sprouts, and then later fruit comes. And there's this process, and that process is gradual. Right? The reason I'm a failed gardener it's because I, I, I remember planting pea seeds. I think that's what you call peas, right? Laura, am I right on that? I was going to say kernels. I know that's not right. <laughs> but I plant the row, and then in like a couple of days, I'm like, I need to know what's happening under the soil because I'm pretty sure that I marked the row with stakes, and then I put seeds in there, and the package I planted them from showed peas in pods. And I'm starting to doubt because I'm impatient. I don't have that endurance to say, I trust the process that God has ordained. And so I want to dig them up and see if it's got a tail yet. Okay, that's, so I, we don't garden anymore. We have a weed bed. <laughs> it's very prosperous too. So it's not very useful, okay? So God calls us to add with the hope of future outcomes. And we should do that because growth is possible. So we engage with God in this process of gradual growth. And we're patient. As I said it with a smile. Okay, we're patient. We're, we're trusting God that as we add in, he's going to do something. Because his divine power is at work that makes it possible that as I do weak things, he takes them and blesses them and does amazing things. Because that's the way it works. Don't get discouraged by your failures. If Peter allowed this discouragement and failure to drive him all the tracks of his spiritual life, he would have never become the guy that wrote this letter to this church saying this is a lesson I learned. And it's very likely that this letter is three years from his martyrdom. Nero burns Rome. Nero begins to blame Christians and persecute them. And Peter's head flies. That's the process. And in the middle of that experience that Jesus Christ had prophesied about Peter, that he would be crucified in a way dissimilar to Christ, Peter writes out of that knowledge and says, I urge you to add to your faith. 
the certain negative outcome of Peter's life did not discourage him. It did not make him pessimistic. Folks, listen, most of us are caught up in what could go wrong. Peter knew what was going to go wrong. And he stayed true to God's calling. You know, most of the things that you and I fear will never happen. But they can still capture you. They can be total fabrications, but they can capture you and shrink you and steal your joy and your optimism. God wants you to know that he's given you his indwelling spirit. So change in your life is possible. But he wants you to know that it's gradual. So I always say to people getting married, it's a process. Okay, here, here, here's, here's my observation. Okay, every wedding I've done has been successful. You understand what I mean by that? Not every marriage I've done has been successful. Every wedding has been successful. Every time I said, by the power invested in me by the state of New Jersey, and as a minister of the gospel, I now pronounce you, it's worked every time. <laughs> but not every marriage has worked. Because we become impatient, we become self-centered, we become independent, and destructive. Now, as a pastor, I live with the hope and with the optimistic outlook that every marriage can work. If you have two people who will take this list and say, you know what, I, not you, not you, my mate, but I need to add this to my life on a daily basis. Because as you Open yourself to those virtues. The Spirit of God will come in and take your weak effort and make it amazing. Growth is gradual. It's true raising a child. It takes time. And we're all, we, we get that. But sometimes in other circumstances, we want it now. And we don't get it. And we become harsh, we become judgmental, we become bitter, we become frustrated because we're not getting what we want and we're impatient. May God help us to realize that growth is gradual, but it requires commitment. The idea of the word add here is the idea of investing, and investing in a business requires some degree of risk and sacrifice. And that's what Peter is calling these people to do, to, to have skin in the game in that church where persecution is guaranteed. He tells them it's coming but he wants them to know that they can be sustained in that. And despite that, if they will add to their faith, if they will take this relationship that they have with God by virtue of the righteousness of Christ, and they will begin to pour into that basic Christian virtues. This list, plus Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit, and a number of other places. But those things are, it, it's a repeated process. It's a gradual process, but it's hopeful. Third, the growth is... Oh, and let me, let me just say this, I, I, and I've said this to you many times before. The goal in Christian living is progress, not perfection. Okay, and I'll say this to you folks. Do not insist on perfection from your friend, from your mate, from your fellow church member, from your coworker. None of us are perfect. We are broken people in need of God's grace. 
And if you're the person on the other side of that equation, God has given you the obligation to make progress. So as a mate, I don't have the right to say to my wife, you get your act together, and on my terms, I'll get my act together. Okay, I should be living on God's terms. And I should be adding to my daily life as a believer these virtues that will cause growth, that will stifle immorality, and that will keep me clear on biblical truth and make me the man that God needs for me to be for my wife. Does that make sense? So there's this, it's, 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 a, it's a process. Third thought is that growth is practical. There is no quick fix. Okay, if you, if you at the end of the sermon today, you say, you know what, God, I want to grow. Uh, here's what I'm gonna tell you. You're gonna need to say that to God on a repeated basis. Okay, it's not like, oh, at the end of the service, I said this, and now everything's gonna be amazing. No, no. You're gonna go home, and your mate's gonna do something that ticks you off, and you're gonna have to say, I, I need to be taking on the love of God, the selflessness of God, the servanthood of Jesus. I, I need to be adding, investing, taking risks, taking sacrifice on myself so that the adventure that we're both on can grow and prosper for the glory of God. Can I, 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 hope, you, I hope you get that. Verses five through seven, the growth is practical. And I've already read through that you get these, these very, uh, very, very beautiful virtues that are, that are laid together. But I want to I just address, how do I do, how do I practically add to my life, add to my faith, add to who I am as a believer? And I'm going to tell you this, it will require sensitivity, sensitivity to the Spirit of God, okay, where you're listening to God as he points things out, and he's seeking to direct you, and he's saying things like, not that, this. And you catch yourself in these things, Right? You catch yourself reacting in a way you shouldn't react, and you get to come back and say, you know what, I should have done that like this. That's part of the process, okay? But here's just three simple habits that I hope become part of your life. Number one is this, personal time with God. And I'm gonna tell you the greatest enemy that we face in our culture is distraction. I used to think it was busyness. For me, the greatest enemy to my personal time with God is distraction. Because I get, I don't even, I left it at home. I left my distraction at home. I don't have it with me today. Okay? That thing. I mean, not only does it pump out a lot of stuff that you should never lay your eyes on, but it will distract you from things that matter most. Okay? And that's just the way life is. There, in the past, there were other things that distract us. I'm just saying this. You be careful that you cultivate a pattern, a consistent habit a time with God. There is no substitute for that. And I, I, for a number of, uh, of the men in our church, I'm a little more familiar with the guys from Bible studies and personal context where we've talked about finding time as they're in the car on the way to work, listening to a sermon, listening to the Bible read. You gotta find a way for you to have personal encounters with God, personal time with God. And you've gotta find a way to fight the distractions and keep them at bay so that you can do what matters most, right? There's this thing called the tyranny of the urgent, right? That the urgent things tend to dominate my life. And as Christians, sometimes we need to step back and say, you know what, I need to be sure that I am doing this issue of 
personal time with God. The second thought that emerges from this text, and I think it's so beautiful how, how Peter does this. As he comes to the end of the list, he says, add to your godliness, verse seven, mutual affection. Okay, and the idea of mutual affection is brotherly love. It's that word Philadelphia. Okay, it's affection for my, my friends in Christ, my brothers in Christ, my sisters in Christ. And, 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 and as Peter writes this, he, he really puts the emphasis at the end on the importance of time with others. Where I have carved out time in my life where I am open to and vulnerable to people that need to speak into my life that have permission to speak into my life, that can do that, because I, I'm a fool if I don't think I need that. I am desperately in need of that. And so what's the sad truth? The sad truth is that most of us have affection, but it's not brotherly. We care the collective sigh, but we're not involved personally in people's lives. And we just say that that's just the way we tend to be. I don't mean that to be harsh on you this morning, but I do mean it to provoke you, as the Bible says, to loving good works. And to understand how critical it is that you, and it may be un, totally unofficial, you may have close godly friends, and know a number of people in the context of her church, you have people you can call and you can spend time with and you're, you're, you're sharing life together and you're sharing your burdens. I have such, I tend to be such a private person in, in many ways. I try to be transparent with you so that as pastors, we're being honest about our own weaknesses and failures. I tend to have a harder time sharing those personal things, okay? It's just, it's just the way I'm wired. And I thank God for a group of men that he's allowed me to be with on Monday nights where there's some of that openness and there's this opportunity to do what I ought to do. And I just want you to know how, how critical and crucial that is to your growth, and this text makes that very clear. At the end, and I think there's a sense of emphasis here, mutual affection and the mutual affection love. There needs to be a relational component to my growth in Christ, and that needs to be one of the habits. And the last habit I would, I would suggest is this. It is staying when things are hard. <laughs> staying when things are hard. Staying faithful to God despite the suffering. Here's the way that James says it, right? James talks about, about suffering and he says that if you, if you stay in the circumstance that God has you in and you wait for him to work, that you will begin to develop staying power. And what is staying power? Staying power is not the absence of trouble, it's stability despite the troubles that I'm facing, okay? So the winds of life are always blowing. What's the difference? Do I stay do I stay clear on what God wants and do I stay at what God wants? Okay? Uh, can I be like really transparent? Uh, as a pastor, I've had times where I'm like, I'm done. Okay? My wife has reminded me that that needs to come from God. And the question is, am I done? The question is, is God done? <laughs> okay? The question is, do, do, do I feel like I wanna bail because I don't like the pressure or I don't like what it's taking from me? You gotta look at Jesus. You know what Jesus says to his disciples? He says, I have come to do my Father's will, not to be comfortable. 
You know what most of us as Christians complain about? When things get uncomfortable. But when things are uncomfortable, God is doing his greatest work and staying faithful to God in the circumstance that you no longer want to endure is the place where you will grow the most. And most of us tend to want to hit the eject button instead of saying, God, show me how I can do the work that you've called me to do better. Show me how I can become the man that you want me to be in the context of my marriage as a dad better. And begin to allow God to gradually and practically bring transformation into your life. The last thought I want to focus on is 8 through 11. And I'm just going to, I'll just summarize this. The idea is simply this, that growth is normal. Okay? Now, let me just read through these verses. Verse 8. It says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure. So, what is the Christian life? What is, how does Peter understand the Christian life? He understands that Christians are people who are clearly not perfect, but progress in Christ-like virtues is the indication of saving faith. It's the indication that the Spirit of God has come and that there has been change. They possess these qualities, and then what does he say? In increasing measure. And folks, what does that mean? It means if I look at my life and I see a total absence of these virtues, this text will not bring me comfort. It's meant to shake me. Now, as a Christian, I may become indifferent at times. And I need to see that reawakened by a work of the Spirit of God. I understand that. But what Peter's saying is if there is a perpetual lack of virtue and of growing in those virtues, then I should not take assurance from the fact that 20 years ago I prayed a prayer. Does that make sense? The evidence of conversion is that my heart affections towards God are deeper, they're growing, and they're transforming me so that the virtues that he calls for in this text are there in an abundant presence. Does that make sense? So please take the text in two ways. It gives assurance for believers, but it also has laid within it a warning. The way that you know you're truly converted is that there's change in your heart that is evidenced in your life. And if that is not the case, there is this call to trust Christ. If you possess and increase in these evidences of faith and fight off the tendency, verse nine, towards indifference, you will find the joy of your salvation restored. Verse 10, he says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort, I want you to listen to this, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Not to find your calling and election, not to be saved, but to confirm. What does that mean? It means to to find assurance that the spirit of God, the divine nature and divine power are actually residing within because my life is changing. Okay, does that make sense? So that's... That's just really important. I'm I'm not being saved. I'm confirming that I am saved. So those that were involved in the reformation of the Catholic Church back in the 1500s had a way that they would make this statement, this idea of confirming and evidencing not earning salvation. 
okay? They would say something like this. We are saved by faith alone, but not by faith that stays alone. Okay, make sure you get that. We are saved by faith alone, a body of truth and a level of trust in Christ, but we are not saved by faith that remains alone. Okay, the evidence of conversion is not I prayed a prayer. Because if you prayed a prayer and your life never changed, Jesus would say this to you, by your fruits, you're known. And if the fruit of your life is destructive in a perpetual fashion, if it is unloving, if it is unkind, if it is so on and so forth, you need to ask yourself a different question. Okay? But this text also says that as we begin to see true transformation in our lives, it is evidence that the Spirit of God is present. Here's, here's my experience was this. When I was in my early, late teens and early 20s, I went on this journey away from God. And what I learned as a Christian was I could not escape. He would not let me alone. It was persistent and finally led to a breaking point. And I thank God for that. The thing I want you to know this morning is if you, if, if you say, well, Tim, I, I thought I've trusted Christ, but there's no fruit. Jesus' words are clear. He says, by, them, by their fruit, we know them. We know if we're truly converted. But if you've trusted Christ, this text it aims to give you encouragement and hope. It aims to, 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 to call you to grow in your walk with God so that you and your life can experience a deeper and greater joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 11 ends this text by saying this. It says, and after all of this effort and work that you're doing in, in relationship to the work of Christ, you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul said it this way. He said, I live to hear well done, good and faithful servant. And I think that's what Peter's calling us to in this text is to realize that growth for all of us is possible, it's gradual, it's practical, and it is normal. If I'm saved, I should be growing, just like a little baby who partakes of its mother's milk should evidence growth. My granddaughters have uh, these little dolls. One's name is Molly. Molly has lost, I would say, 50% of her hair. She's had so many braids and brets, and my granddaughter doesn't know that those things act like scissors. This doll isn't even cute anymore, okay? <laughs> it was cute when she got it. It's really, it's really not cute anymore. It has received so much affection. It's been fed so many times. Sitting beside mommy as she's nursing the baby. Little one sitting there nursing the baby. You know what's odd? Though that baby is attractive to her and has experienced a lot of affection, has been fed food and milk countless times, it has never grown. And that's a cause for concern. And if that's you spiritually, man, I, I hope that you hear the voice of the Spirit of God calling you today. Because growth is normal. And growth is the thing that will protect you 
in a culture that we live in, and I believe this, this is me personally, we live in a culture that is on a landslide, morally. And I don't think for the culture that it ends well. Please understand what I just said. I did not say, I think for the church, it doesn't end well. Because Jesus said, I will build my church in any circumstance, and the gates of hell will not prevail. So I am an optimist when it comes to the church. I love pulling up on a Sunday morning if I get here late and seeing people coming into God's house to hear God's word to grow. And I hope that you're experiencing that in your life. The way that we change our culture is not by getting on the street and carrying signs. The way we change our culture is by influencing the person that lives in our house, by influencing the person that lives beside us, not compromising with them, but being light to them. And praying for the person at work and speaking the truth of God to them. You can change your culture. One person at a time. You'll never do it by the institutions. But the church of Christ can do that work as it disperses every week. So may God bless us as we go from here. May we grow. And may may we be the light that God desires for us to be. And I, I pray that you will go out with optimism that your life can change, that the person you're praying for can change, that you're making change, that God can work by his divine power and divine nature unleashed in the hearts of his children. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your kindness to us. And Lord, I can't help believe that this whole text swings off of this very powerful thought at the beginning, let grace and peace be yours in abundance. Lord, these are the gifts that you have designed for us, and they are evidences of your goodness to us. So Lord, if there's someone here this morning who simply in their spiritual walk is discouraged, they're feeling overcome by pessimism, Lord, I pray that they will dive deeply into this text and find that there is hope, that we are people of God's power, we are people of optimism, and that Lord, we would be full of confidence in your goodness, that is unleashed by your spirit on our behalf for our benefit with great power so we can change and we can grow and we can make progress despite all of our past struggles, all of our past history, all of our past wounds and brokenness. We can be free and we can grow. We ask you to do that, Lord, in our lives and we pray this for the glory of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and all God's people said, Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing our closing song?
good to us. <clears throat> Thank you that your goodness will never stop running, running after us, no matter what happens to us in our lives as it relates to the uh, titanic shift of culture and everything else that we just talked about, Lord. Your goodness will never stop running after us. Thank you so much for that. Father, as we uh, go into our week, we ask, Lord, that uh, you would just really impress everything we just talked about that uh, Tim laid on our hearts. And help us just to continue to be better mirrors for your glory in this watching world. So bless us as we go. And we thank you for this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.